What's up, everybody? Nate Lurie here with more of We're the Inspiration. On each show, the absurdity and normalcy of living with disabilities will get explored with dark humor and brutal honesty, making this the most entertaining podcast about disabilities you'll ever hear. Now, I talked in previous shows about an event called the Spina Bifida Conference. They don't hold it anymore. This episode's guest is a great friend of mine from those conferences, Mr. Brian Brately. What's going on, man? Not much, Nate. How you doing? I'm okay, man. It's been a while since we had any interaction like this. Sometimes we text, sometimes we comment on Facebook, and that's about it. Yeah, nice to finally catch up face-to-face here for a little bit. And, uh... Exactly. <laughs> now, I wanted to have you and a friend of ours, Ryan Fromm, who I'll have on later, but I wanted to have you on together. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on together is that people probably don't know yet, you guys were, pardon the pun, inspirational for me thinking about starting this podcast. Because the original idea, since the three of us enjoyed spending so much time together at the conferences, why not start a podcast together? That sort of became, well, I could do it that way, but I have a lot of other friends who are disabled. They all have their own stories. So let's try to have different people on. And that's what it became. But for us, it all started with the Spina Bifida Conference. And (laughs) we got to talk about the way that we met. (laughs) Now, I don't remember bringing that up, don't you? I don't remember every detail about this. Maybe you can fill in the gaps. (laughs) But let's just say that at these conferences, there were some indiscriminate hookups. You were a little young for that when I met you. I get that. But there was this one girl who was into you and this other girl who I don't even remember. This other girl thought you were into this second girl. So (laughs) the first girl comes to me. She says, why don't you talk to this guy? First of all, I don't even remember how I became friends with her. And second of all, (laughs) I don't really remember why I agreed to do it. Because I try to stay away from drama as much as possible. Now, I don't remember when I met you, except I know you were a teenager. Do you remember what age you were? Uh, it was 03 or 04. So we're talking 16 years ago. Something like that. Yeah, so I would have been about 16. That's what I thought. And it's important to remember he was 16 because he had, and still pretty much does to this day a fuller and better beard than I ever could, (laughs) even at 16. And so what I remember was not only seeing that, but like seeing you half asleep, sitting in a chair in the hotel lobby, because we were all hanging out at all hours of the night during this conference in the hotel lobby where we were staying. And we'll get into that later, because there's a lot to unpack from those stories. (laughs) I don't remember what I said at all, but I remember talking to you, I guess, about Creating dramatic situations and hookups at these conferences not meaning a whole lot. Something like that. And we had a very long conversation. But I think at first, and this is the funny part, this was mutual. That we were both, by looks alone, intimidated by each other. Because again, you were 16 and with a full beard. I didn't know what to make of that. (laughs) And to this day, what's your name for me in your phone? (laughs) Uh, still scary mofo. <laughs> scary mofo, that's it. So you can tell what an impression I made on him. 
when we first met, but I remember you deciding to be with the girl that I was friends with at the time. And that must have lasted a while because I know at the next conference, you were together. You actually approached me together. Mm -hmm. After that, I know I didn't really hear from her again. I don't know about you. She actually uh, misbooked her flight home. So she was supposed to leave the day before conference ended when it was in Atlanta the next year and decided to skip that flight and pay the extra five, six hundred dollars or whatever it was just to hang out with me for that one more day. Yeah. Shortly after that, we just stopped talking. That was the year before Atlanta. D.C. was when we met and when all the uh, the fun. Oh, I remember that, that we met in D.C. because that's home for me. And then Atlanta was the next year. I've already told this story on the podcast. Atlanta was when I got sick. Like, I was there for the very first night, and then I didn't leave my hotel room after that till it took me to the hospital. No wonder I never saw her again, because... <laughs> yeah. I don't remember anything aside from you two approaching me together. No wonder I never got a follow-up on that. <laughs> <laughs> One of the reasons I wanted to have you and Ryan on together... You're both cheaters in the fact that you can both walk. <laughs> and I said that together really quickly because I don't want to get you in trouble with anybody. But yeah, you can both walk. You do it with canes, right? Yes. Yeah, I can walk without them, but it's very, very awkward. <laughs> well, that's what I wanted to talk about. And I'll probably talk about this with Ryan later, too. You say you can walk without them. There was a story. I don't know if you heard it that we put on the podcast from my friend, Steve Ray, who you actually have talked to on the old podcast. Oh, okay. Eight or nine <laughs> years ago. So no wonder you don't really remember, but you know who John Mellencamp is, right? Yeah. So John Mellencamp has spina bifida and I knew that, but as far as I knew, he never appeared to have any problem walking. But what I didn't know until Steve did this segment for me was that John Mellencamp's gap in his spine is near the base of his neck. And that makes sense to me as far as like not having a problem walking. So the fact that you can walk awkwardly even, does that have to do with where the gap is in your spine? I assume so. I never... You don't really, really know. Yeah. We both have spina bifida, but we don't really probably know as much about it as we should. Right. That's what a lot of these conferences were supposed to be for. But people stopped going to those sessions because they were all the same every year. Mm -hmm. And so it just became a long vacation to hang out. Absolutely. Conference is always the highlight of the year, getting to catch up with you, Ryan, and everybody else. I don't know if you heard the last show yet that I did. One of the things that was talked about on that show was euphemisms as far as what's used to describe disabled people or however you want to say it. One year, conference was in Anaheim, California, like right by Disneyland. I think it was the first night of the conference. No sessions had started yet or anything like that. A bunch of us were meeting up. We go out to dinner at downtown Disney. Might have been a half a dozen of us. So we get done eating. We're going back to the hotel, and I really think you and I were the only ones that heard this. 
But a few feet away, somebody goes, these people with special needs, it's something else. But I wanted to ask you, I guess, given that story that I just told and how memorable it is to us, about any euphemisms you really don't like in the disabled community. To be honest, they really just don't affect me anymore. Whatever somebody's going to say is, you know, what they're going to say. So, I think it's a stage of getting older, isn't it? That's what I was about to say. The older I've gotten, the less I've cared. I remember uh, we were in Atlanta, CNN headquarters tour, and I was in the bathroom washing my hands, and some little kid looked at me. You know, he's with his dad. And he looks at me, looks at his dad, and goes, Dad, what's wrong with that kid? Cool. Little kid, he's curious, whatever. I had that exact same thing happen in the grocery store once. This kid asked her mother why I was in a wheelchair. And I was kind of already in the distance. I probably would have politely answered something. Because, you know, it wasn't a horrible question. Right. But still, it's kind of a double-edged sword when kids ask questions like that. Because (laughs) it's good that they're asking someone. But Mm -hmm. a lot of them don't have any tact at all. And I don't know if there's more to your story, but I'm going to quickly interject one of my stories. Did I ever tell you the story about the day that I got my driver's license? Not that I remember. I'm in line to get my photo taken for the license. And this little kid comes up to me, couldn't have been more than probably eight or nine years old. He looks at me and he goes, do you have a fake leg? (laughs) Now that you say this, I do remember that story now. I love that story so much. I'm surprised (laughs) I would not have told you that. I didn't know what to say. I paused for a few seconds because I can't go off on this kid. It's not like I can yell at him in the DMV. But finally, I chose to say, no, do you? (laughs) And I think the story was either his father or his grandfather was an amputee, and they were in a wheelchair as a result. But this kid's mom, I guess it was his mom, she was about five feet away, six feet away, something like that. Social distancing, you know. And she didn't say anything, but she just looked at both of us and she looked like she was dying of embarrassment from what her son said. (laughs) Continue with your story. Little kid looks at me and then looks at his dad and goes, what's wrong with that kid? His dad looks at me, looks back at his kid and goes, don't worry about it. He's just not normal. Ouch. Yeah, it took everything in my willpower not to say something to the dad because of how ignorant, you know, his response was. Like I said, the little kid asking, that's completely fine. I could care less about that because little kids are inquisitive. And Here's the thing, and I know I keep saying this as my podcast goes on. We're in the fourth episode now, but I want to hear stories like that and emphasize the fact that what you just said about not the kid, but the dad, that's why this podcast exists, to vent about stories like that or to maybe help people realize that Comments like that are very inappropriate. Another one that was similar to that, a few years later, I was at the zoo with my then-girlfriend. It was middle of summer, so I'm in shorts. I wear leg braces, and I have the canes. So I'm walking around, and this little girl comes up to us, and she starts touching my braces, touching my canes. What are these? What are they for? What do they help you do? You know, all kinds of questions. No mom, no dad, no you know supervision whatsoever. So I'm like, What's the quickest, simplest explanation that I can think of to satisfy the curiosity that this kid has? First thing that popped in my head was they helped me walk. Her response is, oh, all right. And she walked back to whoever she was with. Ignorance from adults is one thing, but dealing with kids 
can sort of garner one of two responses. Fear or almost perverse curiosity. Some are fascinated by us and some are definitely afraid of us. Mm -hmm. Especially the younger ones. And sometimes there's a mix of the two. Especially the younger you go. Very few children that I've encountered have just been normal around me, maybe, or thought I was normal, unless they happen to be the children of someone I know. And I don't know if those parents prepare their kids for me, or here's our friend, he's part of the family or whatever, and the kid just accepts it. Good for him, you know, good for her. Here's another fun one for you real quick. Go for it. I've been playing sled hockey for seven or eight years now. I work at a grocery store as a cashier, was in the bathroom one day on my break, and I came out, and this little kid was there with his mom, and he's sitting in the cart. We walked with crutches, but he lit up like a Christmas tree when he saw me because he saw somebody just like him, as loud as he possibly can, pointing right at me, Mom, Mom, he's just like me. My immediate reaction was to go over and talk to this kid because I'm like, that's super cool that he finds somebody who is in a similar situation like him, and he's excited about it. Yeah. So I walk up, and I'm talking with him and his mom, and his mom looks at me and apologizes for the reaction of her son. And I'm puzzled by that because I'm like, hey, that's awesome that he feels comfortable enough to get that excited because he sees somebody in a similar situation. So we chit-chatted for a few minutes, and now this kid plays hockey with me. No kidding. (laughs) Now, that's awesome. I ask for people to give me stories about being called an inspiration, whether they're funny or not, on this podcast. And that sounds like a story that's not funny. Mm -hmm. Because obviously, you were instantly a hero to this kid. Right. And probably still are. He's only like 9 or 10, but his parents go out of their way to tell me that I'm the reason he does the sports and I'm an inspiration to him. And I felt like this kid would be good and he had that mentality of not letting anything slow him down or stand in his way, even with his situation. So getting him involved and letting him show off his talents was my main goal. It helps, I think, to have disabled kids learn that kind of stuff when they're very young because Mm -hmm. that really helps independence later on. Yeah, And there's a definite difference between being called an inspiration by someone else who's disabled or the parents of someone else who's disabled. I'm cool with that because I coached for a number of years myself and I got the same thing because I taught many kids how to do certain things. Facebook is kind of a goldmine for me sometimes for this podcast because I saw somebody post, I don't know if you know Brady from the conference Oh, you probably oh, yeah. you probably do because he's also from Ohio, isn't he? I think he's from Dayton. Yeah, I do remember him. Yes. Well, he posted what I showed you earlier. I shared that with my family immediately. Half of them thought it was the coolest thing, and half of them were like, "No, you're not doing you know extreme uh, adaptive <laughs> sports." <like that." laughs> they think you want to break the land speed record. Yes. Now, for anybody who doesn't know what I'm talking about, explain the article that I sent to you. So basically, it was this guy who was just an adrenaline junkie and liked to do different sports and stuff. He was in an accident, so he's in a wheelchair now. 
and he was able to break the land speed record. I forget where uh, the article said, but just the fact that he was motivated to pursue that was just awesome, in my opinion. Like I said, I just found it today, and for the length it was, it had tons of information. So it was hard to keep it all straight, but number one, I don't think he was in an accident. I think he had a degenerative disease. He broke the world land speed record in a wheelchair by 15 miles per hour, I think. Something like that. Something like he that. He went like 55, 60 miles an hour or something. I think it was 66 miles an hour and change. Which brings up another thing that we talked about on the podcast, not you and me. My first guest on the podcast, Greg Pote. He and I were talking about the fact that people often tell us that we should just resign ourselves to using electric wheelchairs because it would be easier. And one of our default reasons for saying no was it would be slower. And as soon as I read this article, I'm like, that's the electric wheelchair I would need. There's an exception to every rule. That, an exception that to every rule. <laughs> I just need him to build me one, and literally we're off to the races. Again, if I had an electric wheelchair, I'd never get any exercise. So I don't know why people keep recommending that to me. Is that something that you get to as someone who can walk with canes? Yes, a lot of that. And the store that I work at, there's another individual who has spina bifida as well who works at the store. They use a uh, electric cart to get from point A to point B, and they'll just keep it at their register the entire shift. Whenever they get go on break or go home, they can just hop in and go. And I've had many coworkers over the years come up to me and, you know, ask if we have the same disability and why I'm the way I am. And I'll walk and do everything on my own. And this other uh, cashier has basically everything done for them. I have to give credit to uh, the family that I have in general because of the fact that they've always pushed me to do stuff instead of have it, you know, expected to be handed to me. Where do you stand on the belief that... A lot of people who don't know about disabilities want to ask questions, but they're afraid to offend us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And basically with, you know, that situation I told you, the conference one year, what they're taught as they're younger, that's just ingrained in them. And that's their opinion. And that's how it's going to stay. As you said, they're afraid to ask and form their own opinions. Instead of forming their own opinions, a lot of them just make assumptions. Right. And that can really upset people. That's why I love doing sports that, like I've done for so long because I played baseball for 15 years or so before I start doing my sled hockey. And it basically was one of those where people told me I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to prove you wrong and show you that I can do it. See, that's one of the things that I think is cool about you. I did sports for a long time and coached them too. I had to give it pretty much all up for the radio career. And you stuck with it. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, has that uh, been affected by COVID at all? To some extent, yes. I was actually supposed to be in uh, Michigan this weekend for a tournament, but the uh, team that was hosting, their main sponsor is a hospital. So oh. with there being a pandemic going on, they were like, yeah, we're not condoning you guys having a tournament in the middle of a pandemic. So they canceled that tournament. But we've still been having practice and have different equipment pieces to help with not breathing on each other and stuff like that. I assume you mean a sled hockey tournament. Yes. Yeah. I only know that because sled hockey was the last sport that you and I talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's definitely one of my passions now. See, I never did sled hockey. 
I had the opportunity to, but when the opportunity came up, I was working overnights, which is how I started in the radio business. And getting so little sleep as it was, I didn't really want to take on anything extra at that point because I was already coaching basketball. I joke with everybody and I say I never give my sister any credit. She was the one that got me involved in sled hockey. Yeah, she went to a college and got involved with a program for adaptive sports. And then she called me up her uh, freshman year the one night and goes, hey, you need to get over to Worcester. I have uh, some people for you to meet and they want you to try something out. They asked me a few questions about hockey. I was like, yeah, I don't know anything about it. They're like, you want to learn? I'm like, sure, why not? Let's go and kind of never look back. Were you involved in other sports before the sled hockey? I did baseball and that was it. We just played teams around the state of Ohio and had tournaments at the end of every season. And then once we got to go to uh, Williamsport where they do the uh, Little League World Series and we had uh, like an all-star game that we did there. I was involved in baseball for one season. It was something I think they call challenge or challenger baseball. One of the Challenger other. baseball, yes. Challenger baseball. It was sort of an ironic name. I was used to things like weight training and like wheelchair basketball is a full contact sport, even though it's not supposed to be. Yes, I found that out. <laughs> so here I am trying to hit the ball off of a wiffle ball tee because to me, it wasn't really a challenge. If people enjoy it, if they think it's fulfilling to them, that's cool. It wasn't enough for me, if that makes sense. The longer I got involved, it became more of, you know, watching the little kids that were either on my team or the other teams, just seeing them go out and run around the bases or see their mom or dad or, you know, whoever else in their family was at the games, just how happy they were to watch their son, daughter, grandkid, whoever. I would have been down with that, but I was already involved in a mostly a basketball team at that point where a lot of the kids on that team were younger than me too. I could have done both. I felt like at the time that might've been me spreading myself too thin because right. it was two different groups. Once I started the radio career, I had to give up the basketball team too, a little bit. I still talk to some of the people, especially the people that have aged out as I have. I've had two of them on the podcast <laughs> and I'll have more. Actually, you're the first person I've had on that, I've never coached or doesn't live locally, so. Cool. Glad yeah. to be the first. Yeah. This is not disability related, but I know that you you work at a grocery store, right? Yes. Yeah. Have you found that people are coming to your store less because of COVID? You have certain people that definitely are, but you have certain people who still at this point want to find their own produce or their own this and their own that just based off of being neurotic about things but we really haven't had much of a difference in customer flow coming in compared to we definitely have had you know an uptake in the curbside carryout and everything like that but still a pretty steady flow for customers actually coming into the store and what do you do at the store you're a cashier is that it or? yes just a cashier yeah i couldn't imagine you stocking shelves i've tried once or twice you know it was a interesting uh experience trying to stock Please promise me that if you ever stock shelves again, you'll tape it and we'll put it on YouTube. I'll see what I can do, yeah. It's actually funny to be doing the podcast now because last week at work, I actually had a lady tell me that I have a, a voice for radio. Okay, now we got to talk about that. 
chit-chatting as usual, just asking her how her day was going. And yeah, she goes, yeah, you have a voice for radio. Why are you a cashier? My first Halloween costume that I basically did on my own, a uh, sports announcer, because that was like my dream job was working for ESPN. So I had a little earmuff and we got a black pipe cleaner. I went to like preschool or kindergarten dressed up like that the one day. See, I never wanted to go the sports route because there are too many sports and I'm just not interested in that much. Even when I was a kid, I wanted to be a DJ. And I did that for seven years. Might go back to it after COVID, who knows. You know, I got laid off. That's why I started doing this podcast. And it really feels like a strange time to try to get a new job right now. Like working in a new environment would not be a good idea. Right, yeah. Definitely interesting times. (laughs) So you're a sports guy. What do you make of the fact that things like wheelchair basketball, sled hockey, and stuff like that are not really covered like quote-unquote real sports are? It would be awesome to have that national media coverage. The organization I'm involved in, we actually just had one of our uh, kids graduate high school and get a full-ride scholarship to play wheelchair basketball for uh, University of Auburn. Oh, wow. So... Yeah, there are good schools to do that in. Have it put on national TV and, you know, in the mainstream. I know that every once in a while they'll do the Paralympics, but... But they don't advertise. And we've... Yeah, it's not as advertised as the NHL, MLB. The Paralympics uh, will be on... Last time I think it was on an online broadcast. The Paralympics are broadcast worldwide, basically. You just have to know where to look for it. I actually got to watch... uh, the U.S. and uh, Canada in the last Paralympics, guy for Canada missed a wide open empty net, and then the U.S. came down and scored like 30 seconds later to force overtime. U.S. ended up winning the gold medal in overtime. I've definitely missed open nets before, but to see a Paralympian do it definitely makes you feel better about yourself as a <laughs> you know lower skill level player. Yeah, I just started playing basketball again as COVID has been going on because I haven't gone to the gym since COVID began. I have a few weights at home, but it's not the same as working out with other people. What I'll do is I'll go to my old high school and they have this really small rinky-dink, not even flat surface basketball court with one hoop with a net barely hanging by a thread off the rim. There you go. It hasn't been remodeled, I guess, since I went to high school there 20 plus years ago. But it works, and I hadn't played in years before I had started doing that. And what I realized when I started playing again is I didn't forget much. Like, I might not be as fast as I used to be, but I basically know what to do. After doing it for so long, it's just kind of ingrained in you, regardless of if you take time off or not. I did it, and then I taught other people how to do it. it sort of makes sense that I would still have the skill, even though I was not that good to begin with, maybe. I'm not bad, but, you know, there are tons of people better than me. Although with my weight training background, and I said this on the last show, there have been teams when I was doing tournaments and stuff like that in basketball that all five guys tried to get the ball away from me and couldn't do it. That's impressive. I was an okay rebounder. I wasn't the best shooter. I wasn't the fastest on the court. But if you wanted to take the ball from me, you would have to really work to do it. One of uh, the tournaments we played a few years ago, we actually got to play against Dan McCoy, 
who is on the U.S. sled hockey team. For I think the I've heard that name before. And it was like, I mean, we got mauled something like six to two, seven to two, something like that. But he didn't score one goal. He literally would skate figure eights around everybody and then pass it off to whatever teammate of his was open and they'd end up scoring just because everybody was focused on trying to get the puck from Dan McCoy. You know, I came off the ice that game and I was like, I'm just in shock and awe of how good and skilled he is to skate around all six of us that are on the ice attempting to get the puck away from him. But I can't even be mad that we got mauled as bad as we did. Where any other game, I'm like, oh, wow, we lost 5-2, to 6-2. Two, two. I'm furious. Do you remember a year when it was in D.C. where I set up a wheelchair basketball game? It sounds vaguely familiar like they had it in one of the exhibit rooms or ballrooms. Here's what happened. I was getting with the administration of the conference to try to put together a game. There was a basketball court at a nearby park or something. We found out the day that it was scheduled that it was supposed to rain. So they moved it inside the hotel. We got these really small, really short hoops because the ceiling was low in the basement of the hotel. So I get the ball at some point. I go to shoot, and it hits one of the pipes on the ceiling. (laughs) From then on, I just kind of passed it around when I got the ball because I knew I wasn't (laughs) going to shoot anymore. And the funny thing was I got two different reactions to that game. Having helped set it up, one, I got thanked by a lot of people, but a lot of people also thought it was a joke. And that kind of hurt because I got screwed. Just the fact that it was supposed to be outside and it wasn't. But I've made it a goal for years, which I've just kind of come back to with this podcast to spread the word of a lot of advocacy when it comes to disabilities. And one of the areas that I really want to focus on is sports. Because again, I don't think it gets enough coverage. Yeah, it would be cool to see it on, you know, the local, just for, you know, like my team's based about an hour away from where I live, just to see it on a local station there, even having it picked up by a Cleveland station or something like that to broadcast it for, you know, Northeast Ohio would be cool just to have our games on the local TV. The team that I used to play with and coach a few years after I stopped coaching, they went on to national basketball tournaments. So they got better under someone else basically, but that's okay. You laid the foundation. Eh, Fair enough. The team, as they were going to nationals, got on the local news. The problem I have with that is the only time you're going to see a team like that on local news is like a fluff piece. It's not a real sports piece. Just pieces that try to make other people feel good or inspire them, if you'll again pardon the pun because of the name of this podcast. I know that uh, my hockey team, one of our activities we do every year, except for this year with COVID going on, we get to go up to Cleveland for the intermission entertainment for uh, the Lake Erie Monsters, basically the minor league version of the Columbus Blue Jackets. So we get to get out on the ice in front of 10,000 people or whatever uh, Quicken Loans Arena holds in Cleveland. I don't watch that much hockey. As someone who grew up not thinking I could do it, I wasn't that interested in just watching it. Right. 
I feel the same way about football. I'll watch the local team, which doesn't have a name right now. But (laughs) (laughs) I joked the other day, you can turn that into like a who's on first routine. You want to go watch the football team? Which one? The football team, you know. But which one? The football team. (laughs) I was telling my parents when that first came out, they were changing the name. You should have kept it the Redskins, but changed the logo to a potato. (laughs) The Washington basketball team changed their name. So I don't really see the problem with kind of hanging it by a thread and not bothering to change the name of the football team. Yeah. I know that's not got to do with disabilities and it's controversial, especially around here. I just don't see the problem. You had to change the name of the basketball team at some point. Just do it for the football team, too. And until they do, I'm going to continue the who's on first routine. Back to football. Because I've tried wheelchair football, or a version of it. Wheelchair football would probably be best for people in electric wheelchairs. Because at least the version I played was played on a basketball court. Ooh. And there was only one opportunity for a first down. Crossing half court. Interesting. So a lot of the people that I played basketball with found it very tedious and very easy. I don't know if you have a different version of wheelchair football you played. I actually just found out about it last year at one of the hockey tournaments. We were in Chicago and one of the coaches was telling the guy who runs our organization about it. And it sounded interesting just for the fact that I'd never heard about it before. I'd at least try it and see how it goes before making a decision on if I like it or not. Because I've even done uh, wheelchair lacrosse, which was definitely interesting. In wheelchair lacrosse, are the sticks the same sizes? They're a little bit shorter just because of the fact that you're closer to the ground in the chair. Yeah. The goalies, their net that they have for catching the ball, basically like a butterfly net. Did you ever try wheelchair tennis? Once. And that was actually just with my dad because we have a park in our backyard that has uh, two tennis courts and a basketball court. Yeah, I'm coming over to play basketball. Awesome. I don't screw with tennis anymore, man. It, here's, <laughs> the, here's the thing about wheelchair tennis. It's, it's not that it's bad, but just trying to push a wheelchair with a tennis racket already in your hand is very hard. I don't know how people do it. And I have big hands. On paper, it should be easy for me, and it's not. Like, I have no trouble serving. You need to find a uh, team to try wheelchair lacrosse with. If you think that wheelchair tennis is tough, trying oh, I, to, I trying would be to down. have a hockey glove. <laughs> I would be down, man. COVID's going to end first, but I, gotta, I would be down. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I'm slowly realizing what topics could take up entire shows. And I know so many athletes that sports could take up several I want to thank Brian for being on the show and to remind you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and join our Discord server. The links to those are going to be on my SoundCloud page when I put the show up. Remember, you can leave your questions and comments on all four pages. And also, I've gotten several questions about whether people can share this show with others. My answer to that is, of course, disability awareness always needs to be shared. Until next time, my name is Nate Lurie reminding you, you don't always have to do a lot to inspire others.